For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? You people are listening to Topic Thunder. Welcome, everybody, to your latest episode of OKC Topic Thunder. I'm your host, Dylan Huntzinger. Joined today by Stephen Dolan, the Thunder's Intention. Stephen, how's it going, brother? It's going good. Why are you talking about me, man? We got a guest. Dag on right, we got a guest. Our first guest ever. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us today is a man who spent his years covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. Spent many years covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. He cut his teeth on a website called Thunder Obsessed with Chuck Chaney before it transitioned to Thunder Digest. He at one time was the voice behind Peak and Roll Podcast. He has recently been employed as a reporter, TV, radio personality for franchise sports in Oklahoma. He graduated from the University of Oklahoma. He was born and raised in the Sooner State. Just recently celebrated his 28th birthday, has a broken jump shot, and once wore a pinky in the brain graphic t-shirt while interviewing Stephen Adams. Ladies, gentlemen, and Stephen Dolan, please welcome the very first guest at Topic Thunder, Brady Trantham. Right. Uh, hey, guys. I'm honored after all that, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm sorry I'm your first guest. It can only go up from here. <laughs> hey, man, we, we are very excited to have you on here. And I just got to say, you've been gracious throughout the whole process trying to set this up. So kudos to you on that, man. Oh, I know how it is. It's it's uh, the season's here. Everyone's grinding. Everyone's getting ready for the long haul that is the 82-game season. So I'm excited. Let's talk some basketball. Yeah, and we don't right, we don't man. quite know how long that haul is yet, but I'm sure we'll figure it out as we go along. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, whenever I interview somebody, I like to ask a few questions about the background, just so the listeners can kind of get to know them a little bit. So, uh, first question I got for you is, what made you want to get into sports journalism? Um. Well, kind of two things. One, the basic thing that everybody, you know, probably every sports media, sports journalist guy, would, man or woman, would tell you, you know, love sports, wasn't good enough to play sports, you know, higher than, you know, high school or college or at a professional level. So you want to still be around it, and this is like the next best thing. You know, you get to watch sports for, um, and get paid for it, go to sporting events, and <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, the other thing is more utilitarian and realistic. I was a history major in college, and I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do. So after I graduated from OU, um, I, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. You know, shout out to teachers. I just knew I didn't <laughs> want to be one. Um, and I caught on with Chuck on Thunder. Um, at the time, it was Thunder Obsessed. Uh, it turned, turned into Thunder Digest. And I uh, just kind of did that on the side for about a, about a year or so. And I really liked it, and people seemed to think I was doing a good job because a lot of uh, local media people, TV stations or radio stations would ask me, like, hey, do you want to come to practice or come to a game? I'll introduce you. And at the time, I was working at a bank, could never get off work in time for the 
you know, that short of a for that short of a stint. And you know, after telling mm-hmm. people no no about two or three times, I decided, you know what, that's this is what I want to do. So I uh, quit my job at the bank uh, back in 2016, right before the uh, playoff run with uh, Kevin Durant, the final playoff run with Kevin Durant and the Thunder, Man. and started treating it like it was my job and bartended part-time and kind of hit the ground running ever since and tried to get better and tried to meet people. And luckily enough, I met uh, Jerry Ramsey from 107.7 The Franchise, and he seemed to like me enough and uh, let me come on in April, and it's been a fun, fun ride ever since. All right, man. you got a whirlwind of experience in your uh, in your time there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, like I said, it's, it's a lot of fun, and Every day I go into practice or a game, I'm still learning brand, like new things. It's like I said, I didn't learn this in college. So to everybody out there that is either in high school or in college or out of college, as long as you work hard and you're really, really receptive to help and to critic, like constructive criticism, you can do whatever you want. So if I can do it, you can you can do it. I promise. There we go. All right, that's where we're aspiring to be. So that 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 jazzes us up right there. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's something that playing that playing sports at some level helps you out with, right, is the taking constructive criticism. I always think that's really a valuable skill. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, especially as a writer or like like you guys, like you guys are doing with podcasting. And, you know, I did that. I did peak and roll podcast. And I, you just got to accept that you are not going to be perfect from day one. You're not going to be Bill Simmons from day one. It's just a process. I mean, it's good. Just like the Sixers, you've got to trust the process, and you've got to <laughs> accept that you'll, you're just going to be better tomorrow than you were the, the day before. And if, if you can accept that, you will be fine. I promise. <laughs> you sound like you play right. for the Thunder. Oh God. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys, you guys already mentioned it. I could probably start at you know uh, small forward for them with my jump shot. <laughs> as long as you're long, athletic, and play defense, right? Yeah, I'm a five eleven kind of long for 5'11", but let the record show that that video, like Madison and I, my partner Madison Morris, uh, that I'm going to be doing the uh, podcast with that we're going to start um, after the Thunder's first game against Golden State, uh, let the record show that we, that was during a filming of like a really kind of a funny trailer for our podcast, and that started off as, here, I'm going to intentionally miss a few shots. Right. And kind of, and then, no, no, no. Then it kind of pissed me <laughs> off. And I was like, wait a minute, I'll actually start making them. So about, you know, three shots in, I actually was trying to make it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, That's what uh, I would say, too, man. It, it was bad. It, it, it was bad, let's just say. It's been a while since I've uh, played basketball. All right, man. Well, you know, m- most media members have to say they're neutral. But I'm just going to assume that you were a Thunder fan um, you know, based off of your history um, with Thunder Obsessed, Thunder Digest. So uh, how did your fandom for the Thunder come about? Was it just because that was the NBA team in Oklahoma City, or was it something else? Well, I grew up a Miami Heat fan. Like, I, I, like Alonzo Mourning was my favorite player growing up. Um, when the Thunder actually came to Oklahoma City, I, I rooted for both Miami, and I kind of followed Oklahoma City. But, you know, as everybody knows, that first year it was – really hard to watch a lot of those games, but you could really see that there was a lot of talent, you know, between Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Uh, Russ, Russell was my favorite player back when I was still kind of a fan, just because it, it took a little bit for me, like the OU Sooner and me, to root for Kevin Durant, who was a Texas Longhorn, 
So yeah. there, there was that. And then, you know, Russell just kind of played with this intensity that, you know, obviously the guy is a supreme athlete. We all know that now. But he played like he he basically played, I don't know how to describe this, but he played like he wasn't the supreme athlete. He played like he was just doing his damnedest to do whatever he could to, like, win or make a play. And, you know, for people that aren't supreme athletes or, you know, seven feet tall and can shoot, you know, 42% from three, you know, a lot of people can connect with that. And with as, with as emotional as he was or he is, you know, a lot of fans could connect with that, and I certainly did. And, um, you know, so I guess I just kind of followed them. Um, once LeBron went to the Heat, and this will kind of put me in a bad light with basketball fans, there was a time where I could not stand LeBron James. I love the guy now. He's fantastic, best player in the world. But there was a time where I did not like him. As soon as he went to the Heat, I was like, I'm done with Miami. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I kind of yeah. went Oklahoma City. So yeah, I went I... Oklahoma City. And then 2016, when I decided to do this, I was like, all right, I'm not a fan anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not alone in your criticism of LeBron going to the Heat. I, I, I've said terrible things about LeBron, but I've backpedaled since then, so you're not alone there. Right, and and like you were saying about Westbrook, like he, he obviously has incredible physical talents, but they're the kind that you can kind of train yourself to have, you know, like uh, just he basically has a lot of muscles, but he, he comes off like a self-made superstar. He doesn't have like the, the natural body of a Kevin Durant or anything like that. So it's really amazing that like, even when we had Kevin Durant here, that everybody kind of gravitated toward him and in a way, not amazing because he is undoubtedly the slightly better player, but Russell Westbrook is the more relatable player. And, and I think we all started to realize that once, uh, once we were forced to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, exactly. I mean, you go back to high, um, when Russell was in high school and in college, he was not a blue-chip recruit. Like, mm-hmm. Duke, North Carolina, all the big schools were not, you know, tearing down the door to sign Russell Westbrook. And that was always a dynamic between Russ and Kevin Durant that I think was kind of, you know, not necessarily the reason, but I'm sure it kind of played into it a little bit just because – you know, Kevin Durant was a highly sought-after recruit and a generational talent coming into the NBA. And Russell Westbrook, a lot of people thought Sam Presti drafted him way too early. Yeah, so and it took him a few years to become what he became. Yeah, he was that like, off like the bat. Yeah, like you said, he's self-made, self-made player, self-made athlete, and a lot of people connect with that, even though there's still a lot of people that um, – look, he's not the most efficient player. Does his play at times cause the Thunder to lose some games? Yeah, sure, maybe here and there. But I just appreciate greatness, whether it's whether you win titles with that greatness or you break records with that greatness. I just appreciate greatness. And I think if you're going to criticize Russell Westbrook and say, you know, just blanket statements about how bad he is, then that's that's your loss. But you can still appreciate what we're witnessing because once once his physicality and his athleticism goes – we're not going to see a player like him for, you know, who knows, maybe another 20, 25 years. Yeah, and uh, i, I got to ask you this, because, you know, the old saying goes, you never want to meet your heroes. And you said Westbrook was your favorite player. Once you became a member of the media, uh, was he still your favorite player? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have favorites well, anymore, Dylan. <laughs> well, you, you know, like, 
Once you see them on a day, day-to-day basis, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's because I know there are some media that are still fans, and they can still do their jobs as fans. There is a market for that type of you know, coverage. You know, I certainly understand that. Um, but once you see them on a day-to-day basis, the kind of the, the, the shine kind of goes away because you just you just see them as they are. They're human beings. You get to see them, like, just standing up against the wall answering questions. Um, and, you know, I still have to remind myself, especially last year when the Thunder had Carmelo Anthony, I had to remind myself, wow, I get to talk to Carmelo, Anthony, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook on any given day. That's amazing. Yeah. And it, the little basketball nerd in me just couldn't believe it. And <laughs> But, you know, with, with Russ, you, you know, with him, you just got to do your homework. You got to know what questions to ask, what questions not to ask. And you got to accept the fact that he's not going to give you four paragraphs like Billy Donovan does for an answer. <laughs> it's just not <laughs> you're the lucky way if you're going to get four words. Yeah, like it's just not the way he does things, but um, he tr- he treats me fine. I treat him fine. I don't. I guess I don't ask him dumb questions because he usually gives me good answers. So we'll go with that. Knock on wood. <laughs> uh, the next question I got for you, man, is uh, you know we, we talked a little bit about it. You know your favorite player, and then you know how awesome it was to be covering those three guys at the same time. What has been your most surreal moment? in your entire journey to be, you know, to where you are now. You're welcome to the league moment. And, um, well, in terms of the media, like learning, like just kind of the power of social media. <laughs> so what was this? This was two okay. seasons ago. I think this was two seasons ago. And it was, uh, yeah, it was the trade deadline where uh, the Thunder traded for Todd Gibson, Doug McDermott, those guys. Well, that morning is this the is this the Andre Robertson hug moment? Yes, it is. <laughs> I remember this. Like that that morning, everybody and their dog thought the Thunder have no trade assets. They're not going to be able to trade the only but the only player that they could possibly trade is Andre. So that was just you know, swimming around everybody's minds. And you know, so we show up to the practice facility, all the media, and we sit in the media room for about an hour, and then they let us onto the court for the final 15 minutes of practice like they usually do. And so we just kind of stand there and watch everybody shoot around and hang out around and wait for the first player to come over to talk to us. Then all of a sudden we see Andre Robertson get asked to go into the office where Sam Presti and a bunch of other front office execs are standing around on their phones. He goes into the office, comes out like a few minutes later, and then starts hugging everybody. Oh, no. Now, me, myself, (laughs) Uh, Steve McGee from uh, Channel 9 News here in Oklahoma City, and I thank Royce all mm-hmm. tweeted out what they saw. I think Royce deleted his tweet quickly, though, because all I <laughs> all I said, all I, all I said was Andre Alverson just walked out of the office and start, um, at the Thunder Practice Facility and started hugging everybody. Well, then ESPN, Fox Sports, and every, CBS pick it up, and then they add, Andre on the trade block, and I started to be like, I started to be like, hey, I didn't say that. I didn't say he's on the yeah. trade block. I tweeted what I saw. It was a weird occurrence. We never see anything like that, and it just got to a point where the mentions were just going and going and going, and there was nothing I could do about it. And I just stood there and accepted it. I was like, <laughs> I, 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 just... I felt bad. 
I felt bad because I kind of wanted Andre to get traded at that point, just for just for the standpoint of I can't be, I don't want to be wrong about this, even though I didn't say anything, I didn't claim anything. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't happen. It was fun. Like I went up to Andre the, um, a few days later at practice and told him that was me, and I was I told him basically what I just told you guys. He's like, don't worry uh-huh. about it, you know. So it, everybody was cool. <laughs> You needed to you needed to clarify after the tweet if they were if they were sad hugs or happy hugs. <laughs> well, that was the thing. Like he started hugging a bunch of people, and maybe they were happy hugs because Sam may, may have said, "We're not trading you." you know, yeah. Overall, I don't know. They're not going to say anything, but it, let's just say, like I tweeted it out because of all the circumstances prior to that um, happening, and then also we don't really see anything like that at practice, so it was it was a weird observation. But I guess that was my. Yeah, you got to be careful what you say on Twitter, even if you don't mean what. Even if you're saying, you know, you're basically careful about what you're saying. People can still misinterpret what you're actually saying, and that's out of your control. Yeah, you got to wonder because you know Sam Presti kind of is one of the only GMs that can control the narrative. You kind of got to wonder if he was like, "Hey, Andre, go out there and hug a bunch of people and see what happens." <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Uh, all right, all right, man. Well, let, let's get into your work here a little bit here, man. Um, you know, you just released an article. Uh, was it the beginning of this week, last week, something like that? Yeah, it was on Monday. It was, it was my birthday present to myself as I <laughs> tried, to, tried to finish that damn thing for like five hours, and <laughs> my poor girlfriend had to like sit there and watch me get all nervous and anxious about hitting the publish button. <laughs> Man, you did a great job. You know, I mean, it was it was about Hamadou Diallo, and it was a great article. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, it was good, you. man. It was good. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. The question I got is, uh, what made you choose Hami as the subject of your future article? Well, I had a chance to go down to Summer League for the franchise um, back in July, and obviously um, Diallo and Deontay Burton were probably the two big, you know, players out of that summer league in terms of how they performed. I mean, everybody kind of went into summer league trying to see how Terrence Ferguson would, would perform um, doing, mm-hmm. you know, different duties um, instead of just being a catch-and-shoot guy, but mainly trying to distribute. And so basically just out of summer league, I was just really fascinated with the way Diallo conducted himself on the floor because, you know, when the Thunder drafted him, I, I did what everybody else did and kind of looked him up on YouTube, read a bit, little bit about him. And I kind of formed my own opinion. Okay, he's going to be like a, a really cool super athlete, but he probably can't shoot, but he probably can't, you know, put the ball on the floor. He probably can't defend, you know, all those things that typical raw athletes do when they come out of college. Mm-hmm. And just watching him in summer league, I was so impressed with, yeah, he's super athletic, but he's able to basically keep himself under control and do a lot of the things that Billy Donovan has said that he wants Terrence to do. Billy Donovan has said time and time again, Terrence Ferguson is a supreme athlete, but we need to figure out ways to get him to be able to translate that athleticism into making basketball plays. And that has, hasn't exactly clicked for Terrence. Day one, Hamadou Diallo is able to do things on the floor. Um, I mean, you guys have obviously, I would, I would assume, watched him in preseason. Yes. And, and, yeah, we saw um, and, you know, you guys have watched basketball for a long time, and you, you've seen athletes as, like Terrence Ferguson, mm-hmm. supreme athletes that are on the floor for, you know, 20, 25 minutes, and you often forget, unless they hit a three-pointer randomly, you often forget they're on the floor. You don't get that with Hamadou. And I just kind of, like, I had a, 
at the time in summer league, most of the media had left. Um, they were only there for like three or four days, and I stayed the, the final three or four days that the Thunder were playing. So I basically had free reigns to talk to anybody I want. I chose Hamadou, and we kind of talked for about 15 minutes of summer league here and there and um, talked to him at some charity events a month ago. I had a chance to talk to his assistant coach at Kentucky, uh, Coach Kenny Payne, about mm-hmm. Hamadou. And, and then I had another one-on-one with him about a week ago, and he's just – He's a really good kid. He's really, really bright. Um, and you've got to appreciate a guy like Hamadou, who's really talented, who had probably first-round talent written all over him, but got drafted in the second round. So he's got a chip on his shoulder, and he plays a position that the Thunder desperately need and um, you know a lot of improvement in at the shooting guard spot in terms of, of offense. So I thought it'd be a perfect thing to write about, and it was fun, and I'm, I'm glad I did. Hamadou said... Amadou told me the other day in, in the locker room that he enjoyed the article, so at least one person read it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go, man. At least three. Uh, oh, you you had to you had to spend a few extra days in Vegas. What a bummer. Uh, well, I think it was just because I got there on Monday, and summer uh, okay. actually started the previous Wednesday. So yeah, it was just yeah, uh, Vegas. Oh well. <laughs> one night I don't remember. Other than that, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, but like you're saying about uh, Ferguson and Hami, it, th- there's been a lot of quotes from Billy about, like like I think you mentioned, having to put Ferguson in a position to use his athleticism. And I think you see with Hami, he puts himself in that position to use his athleticism. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, a really valuable trait when you're that athletic. Yeah, uh, Brett Dawson from The Athletic, he uh, formerly covered the Thunder for the Oklahoman. Um, he was asking Billy Donovan the other day after the Atlanta game in Tulsa about, you know, guys like Hamadou Diel that fit his athletic profile, they typically don't crash the glass as much as mm-hmm. he's able to do. And that's that's an example of using your athleticism to make basketball plays. So, yeah, when Hamadou Diallo was out on the floor with a Paul George or in the future maybe with a Russell Westbrook, Basically, when he's on the floor and he's not being looked to score, that's how he can make an impact with his athleticism and his talent is crashing the boards and keeping possessions alive. And if he's able to do that, he'll find a nice spot in the rotation for Billy because Billy loves that stuff. He's, he's super aggressive without the ball, which is, a, which is a talent that you don't see on many players. Uh, exactly. He, he's a really great ball mover as well, uh, especially in the, in the last game against the Bucks. Um, when he when he was out there with a lot of the starters, I mean, obviously Russell's not out there, but Schroeder is a starter at the NBA level. Um, every time he'd get the ball in the corner, if, if the ball if the shot wasn't there or if he couldn't put the ball on the floor, he immediately passed it back out, and it was the right play. And for a rookie, that's what you got to look for. Yeah, it took it took Dre three years to learn that, and <laughs> and he he's already doing the thing where he comes around the screen and he hit. I think it was Burton in the corner for that one three point attempt. And it's like, you know, they spent all summer league trying to get Ferguson to do stuff like that, and he's he's ahead of the curve. Yeah, it's, it's been it's been fun to see. Uh, we'll see how much how many meaningful minutes he actually gets mm-hmm. going forward. I mean, he'll have his opportunities with the Thunder's you know, plethora of injuries that they have going into Game One on Tuesday night. But um, it's going to be interesting to see. And basically, if you're a Thunder fan, if he's out there against Golden State, you've got to be okay with it considering the way he's been able to perform now 
I'm a Kentucky fan, full disclosure. Um, so I knew all about Hami coming into the draft, and when he was, you know, traded to the Thunder, I was ecstatic. Um, you know, just full disclosure, I wanted to throw that out there. Um, the question I had, though, is uh, what made you, or how did you get in contact, rather, with Kenny Payne of all the other coaches? Well, I guess, realistically, I, I just assumed I wasn't going to get John Calipari, so I, I just kind of <laughs> never even gave that thought um, the time. Uh, Brett Dawson, um, guy I just mentioned for the Athletic, he also went to Kentucky, he's from Kentucky, and I had asked him about a week or two, so before, like, hey, so how often do you ever get to talk to Calipari considering, you know, half the league used to play under him? And Brett told me, like, not a lot. It's surprising, but he doesn't really like talking, even about former players, even though it kind of makes sense for him to do so. So I just kind of thought, oh, okay, I guess I'm just never going to be able to talk to him. So I um, just basically was reading a lot of Hamadou Diallo articles from his time at Kentucky, and Kenny Payne was uh, quoted in them a handful of times. And even though, uh, from what I understand, Kenny Payne's more of a bigs coach, uh, he's mm-hmm. been really connected to Anthony Davis and Nerlens Noel, but he's also, I guess, Kentucky's ace recruiter and played a big role in getting Hamadou to come to Kentucky. And so I just simply did the the easy thing. It was, it really wasn't that difficult. You just, like I said, you've got to accept a lot of criticism and you've also got to accept a lot of no during your time trying to make it in this business. So I just sent Kentucky's uh, SID an email and said, hey, I work for the franchise, cover the Thunder, love to talk to Kenny Payne about uh, Amadou Diallo if he'd, if he'd like it. And I just sent it out thinking, well, I probably won't get anything, you know, from this, but, you know, what are they going to say, no? And then, like, six <laughs> minutes later, their SID called, um, hit me back up and said, yeah, he'll do it. Um, do it on the phone. I was like, awesome. So then I had to quickly – I had to quickly, like, put down some questions <laughs> because I really wasn't prepared. But <laughs> Kenny Payne was really, really, really nice, really good to me, and he was uh, he was awesome to talk to. For sure, man. And, you know, I mean, not just big man. Like, even, you know, when players are declaring for the draft, you know, they'll thank Cal, and then they'll be like, you know, and I thank everything that KP's done for me. And, like, of all the other assistant coaches that they said, you know, Kenny Payne's the one that stands out, so – it's cool that you was able to talk to him. Um, I feel like you know he doesn't get a lot of voice out there. Uh, how do you how do you think that Hami's time at Kentucky uh, prepared him for his time in the league, or even just his time at the Thunder? I really think it taught him how to work because as athletic as he was, he was. If you think he's raw now, kid was very raw. I mean, I, I I've seen video of his jump shot before, like he started at Kentucky. And, man, did that thing need some work. And to his credit, he's made it work. Um, but, you know, going up against guys like Shai Gil- um, Gilgis Alexander, Malik Monk, uh, De'Aaron Fox, his uh, redshirt freshman year, um, yep. it's – when you are an, an athletic freak like Hamadou and you're playing against guys that are lottery picks from day one like that on a day-to-day basis, it forces you to either understand, well, you do you think you're just going to be able to do it on your athleticism alone, or do you think you're going to have to improve all over the floor? And he chose the latter, and that's the wise decision. And it really paid dividends because, you know, every time you see Hamadou, whether, like, in terms of, like, in different windows of time, so you see him from college, then you see him in summer league, then you see him in preseason, he always gets better 
he's always much better than he was the last time you saw him. And that's regardless of the competition, because like we've been talking about, he makes plays without the ball. And yep. that is that is something in a second-round rookie, a second-round pick, that any GM would kill for. Yeah, and I, I heard uh, Mikey Vera say on one platform or, or another that uh, the Thunder would have taken him with the 21st pick in the previous season if he had come out in the draft. And, you know, there's a video – he. It's not like he hadn't played against elite competition before. There's a video I found of him and Terrence Ferguson were actually on the same, some elite AAU team. Uh, so he had played against, but you're, but you're right. Like going to Kentucky against seven, eight NBA players, it, it's, it doesn't hurt. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, last thing on Hamdou Diallo, and then we'll move on to some uh, other Thunder players. Um, what do you think was the most interesting thing you found out about Hami uh, in this interview process? And was there anything that you found out that you didn't include in the article that you can tell us? <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, I've got, a, I've got about 20 minutes of Hamadou Diallo audio that I just had to sift through. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the times you're going to ask these guys questions that you already know the answers to. You're going to ask them questions that they've been asked a thousand times. What you're yeah. really trying to do is just try and dig as much as possible and find something that really kind of goes with them, um, stays with them. And um, he, hadn't really, he hadn't really talked about it a lot, and I didn't really use it in the article in, in, the, in the form of, like, quote, putting the quote out there. But just how much the second round – draft pick basically has stuck with him and he's done it in kind of a weird way because he's not very vocal he hasn't really he kind of mentioned it after the Milwaukee game in the locker room for the first time publicly but I mean he's he thinks he's a first round pick he thinks that he's that type of talent and it really stuck with him and to his credit he's only using it for positive things he's not bitter about it he just uses it as another thing as another kind of just as a chip on his shoulder to get better. And that was kind of the impressive thing to me because, you know, before I started researching Hamadou Diallo when the Thunder drafted him, you know, I didn't really know that much about him. But I just assumed, like everybody else did, okay, he's probably he's probably happy he got drafted. But nope. <laughs> he is very, very well aware that he um, – you know, and even uh, I was listening to the uh, Thunder Buddies podcast from the Oklahoma with Eric Horn, and he had, and I can't remember his name, a Milwaukee's beat writer yeah. on the latest episode. And he was talking about how Hamadou Diallo was supposed to work out with the Bucks, uh last season before he ended up dropping his name out of the hat for the draft. And, I mean, this guy is, like you guys said, he's a first-round talent. The NBA knows that. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, like, just the guy, the guy is really smart. The guy is really kind. Um, looks you in the eye when you talk to him. You know, just a really, really good kid. And uh, just, you know, he was just—he's just fun to talk to. Which you can't say a lot about some basketball players. They're just some of them. No matter how good they are, some of them are just not fun to talk to. Can't say that about Hami. Sounds like a Thunder guy. <laughs> All right, man. Talking about some more Thunder guys here. Um, we acquired Abdel Nader over the summer. Um, 
he's been out all preseason with knee soreness. Have you seen him during any workouts or practice at all? And if so, what do you think he adds to this team? Well, really quick, and I'm just I'll just say this because I thankfully found found a video of him on uh, YouTube where he says his name. His name is spelled Abdel. Abdel, it's Abdul. So just pretend like there's a U there. It's it's still Abdul. So just my bad. No, it's okay. Like that's on me. If I I hadn't seen that video, I would have said Abdel to him at media day, and he probably would have corrected me. So (laughs) it it happened. But other than seeing him do like the Steph Curry like dribble drill with both hands on the floor, um, (laughs) have not seen him do anything and. You know the Thunder's first week of training camp. You know they go through a, they go through about a week of training camp, and nobody thinks to ask about Abdul Nader's progress because, you know, the Thunder aren't going to just go ahead and say, "Oh, by the way, Abdul Nader's been out for a week with right knee soreness." We didn't find out until the following Sunday, during the Thunder's blue-white scrimmage, when they just said, "Oh, he's out with right knee soreness." And at the time, I just thought, "Okay, it's probably just." something minor and they're just holding him out of a, you know, full contact scrimmage. And it's just been kind of a, every every other day I ask Billy and it's just always the same thing. He just doing some contact, but not a lot. Weird. Excuse me. Yeah, it's been, it's been a little odd, but um, Billy even said something today that really kind of shocked me. I don't think I've ever heard an NBA coach um, talk about this because obviously the big, question today was on Russell Westbrook's status and mm-hmm. I think we the media and Billy I think we all talked to Billy about it for about five minutes and then I kind of remembered oh yeah Abdul Nader still hurt so then I asked Billy about Abdul uh, about his progress and Billy said no he's still out and uh, Eric Korn from the Oklahoma asked uh, a follow-up question basically asking you know you haven't been able to see him at all for um, uh, training camp in the preseason can you can you at least kind of see how he's going to fit in with the team or gel when he's able to return? And Billy just looked at him and said, no, I can't. I really couldn't tell you. I don't know why it just shocked me that an NBA coach, when asked about a, a player that was hurt, you know, like how is he going to fit in with the team? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and it, and it kind of it makes sense because Abdul is a young player. There isn't that much film on him uh, in terms of NBA competition. Because I asked a follow-up question um, right after that, asking, is it that much different from Patrick Patterson's situation last year? Because Patrick missed all of training camp, but came off the bench fine, you know, in terms of the rotational minutes, uh, the first game of the season. And I asked, is that a different situation because Patrick was an older player and there's a lot more film on him to see how he can fit into a team, whereas Abdul is younger, he hasn't played in the NBA that much. And Billy just kind of gave me the rundown, blah, 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 nothing really substantial. But I don't know. It was just something that stuck with me. No, I couldn't tell you. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, like, they don't know. He hasn't played any minutes with the team. Like, that's a rough time for him to get injured on the fringe of the roster. But, you know, um, we'd be remiss if, if we didn't mention the Russell Westbrook knee situation. Uh just because I don't, I don't know if we're going to cover that really, but it was reported that there was no report to give. <laughs> so that, there's the update on that. If you have anything more, please share. Oh, sadly, the same thing that we've 
been hearing for the last two and a half, three weeks. Um, yep. It was a pretty weird like – we waited two hours to go talk to Billy Donovan just to hear him say the same thing over and over again. Um, <laughs> so a normal yeah, like, day, right? Uh, just another normal day. Um, <laughs> you know, the thing about Russell, and I, I, I'm not basing this off of anything I've been told. This is actually my first thoughts when the uh, surgery was announced four weeks ago. Yep. You know, I, I looked at the schedule. I looked, okay, when is four weeks from today? And, oh, it's the day after the Thunder's last preseason game. Oh, he's pulling a Brett Favre. His shoulder hurts. He doesn't want to go through training camp. That <laughs> makes sense. And then I look at the regular season, and you you got a you start off on the road against uh, Golden State and Oakland, and then you have a follow-up game three days later on the road against the Clippers in L.A., and then you return a few nights later to Oklahoma City for the home opener. And four weeks ago, I just thought, I was talking to Madison, like, oh, I would probably assume that if everything goes okay and there's not some weird suture that they have to clean out, you know, because of, you know, because that's what happens when Thunder, <laughs> Thunder Medical <sighs> their players under the knife. But as yeah. long as everything's okay, I'm just going to assume that he's not going to play that first road trip and they'll start him game three against the Kings in Oklahoma City. That, to me, makes the most sense. And, again, I'm not basing that off of anything I've been told. That's just my personal opinion. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we're we're a little disappointed. We wanted to see where <laughs> Ward Westbrook watch Kevin Durant get his ring on ring night. Yeah. I, I, Hopefully he'll at least be on the bench. I'm sure, I'm sure, <laughs> Russell, I'm sure Russell Westbrook is fine. He's, he's doing controlled contact, which Billy described as, He's not out there fully scrimmaging, but if we're like in a half court situ- half court drill, and um, you know you just kind of get the rebound and go back to half court, that's what Russell's been able to do. I'm sure he's fine, and I'm sure there's probably a level of kind of we know how Russell likes to play against Golden State. Let's not have him go out there and possibly strain his knee because he's playing a thousand percent harder than he probably typically would against Sacramento on, you know, a random Sunday night in the season. So let's just go ahead and shut him down for the, ro- for the uh, road trip to start off the season. That just, to me, again, makes the most sense. Okay. We don't love it, but we understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, sticking with Russ for a second, um, you know, with playmakers like Dennis Schroeder, Paul George, Ray Felton, and even the underrated guys like Steven and Nerlens. Do you expect Russ to play off-ball more than he has in his career this year? You know, that's that's kind of becoming the thunder conversation akin to the NBA conversation of, are the Spurs going to not make the playoffs this year? <laughs> I, feel like we're, I feel like we're about to enter that. Now, Russell has never played with a point guard like Dennis Schroeder before. Yeah. You know, a lot of people want to compare Schroeder to Reggie Jackson. Schroeder is a much different player than Reggie Jackson, and Schroeder yes. is a much different player than Russell Westbrook. So I think Russell highly respects Schroeder's game, and I think is willing to play off the ball a little bit more. And, you know, the Thunder know how old, he, how old Russell Westbrook is getting. They, they understand how players, once they get into their 30s, their athleticism kind of goes away. And I asked Sam Presti about it. Um, before the season started at his uh, opening interview, like, is there an organizational plan to basically let him play off the ball a little bit more to alleviate a lot of the stress on his body or monitor his minutes at all or make him sit? And Presti basically said, you know, we have been a shrewder. Hopefully he understands that he doesn't have to do every single thing over and over again. So, 
Um, I think when they are able to basically run a set, I think he can probably come off the um, playoff ball a little bit more frequently. But we all know if the game's on the line or if the Thunder are down 10 and they're trying to come back, Russell's going to have the ball in his hand. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that was my thought too, is that on a secondary – action after the initial pick and roll doesn't work then yeah let's get Russ off the ball so we don't have to cycle him back around for a new pick and roll but as a primary option <laughs> you don't want to take away possessions from Russell Westbrook to give them to anybody even if it's Dennis Schroeder oh yeah why would you the guy can drop 30 35 points on a nightly basis so uh to yep. me it's just a little unwise to just think oh he needs to play off the ball because of reasons <laughs> right talking about Dennis a little bit uh you know we've all been impressed with Dennis every time he's come out you can tell he's ready for the challenge and you know this this year is kind of like an upstart year for him it's time to he can upstart his career upstart his public image and everything um how do you think he's going to do on that second unit you know a lot of people are throwing her out six man of the year um do you think that he has that potential, or do you think we should pump our brakes a little bit? Oh, he certainly has the potential to be a sixth man of the year, and I was actually trying to go through a lot of the candidates. Um, Lou Williams got his sixth man of the year. Um, that was pretty much – I thought it was kind of a, here, take the damn trophy so we don't have to hear it from you again. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he, so he's out. Jamal Crawford's up there in age. and Has he even signed with anybody yet? I can't remember. Nope. Mm-mm, he's still yeah. free. Um. And I know because people still are talking to me on Twitter about we should get uh, Jamal Crawford on the Thunder. And, <laughs> so he's definitely if, available. If, um, if Iguodala is able to play enough games, he's going to be in the conversation, of course. And there are going to be other guys, you know, Eric Gordon. There are going to be other guys that come up in conversations. So Schroeder is definitely there in the conversation. Now, we were actually talking about this on the radio t- tonight. Um, in OKC about, yeah, everyone's been pleasantly surprised with how seamless the transition Schroeder has made to playing with Steven Adams. Those guys have a great chemistry. Well, when, oh, Russell, yeah. comes back, when Russell comes back, he's going to be playing with Nerland's Noel. Yeah. So that's going to be the big click. We haven't really had a chance to see Schroeder play with a lot of second units so far. He's obviously yeah. played some minutes with Jeremy Grant. He's played some minutes with Nerland's Noel, but not enough for – me to have the understanding of okay when he comes off the bench and he's not and Russell's not on the floor or Paul's not on the floor then yeah he'll be able to run it seamlessly and fine but the guy can the guy has a 20 plus point per game score in the NBA um, I, I'm not going to trash that ever so he's going to get his numbers he's going to have his opportunities I'm just mainly looking forward to seeing him and Westbrook and Paul on the floor at the same time. I'm really, really intrigued to see how that dynamic's going to work. For sure, man. You know, you talked a little bit about Steven Adams and his chemistry with Dennis and even his chemistry with Russ. Um, you know, last year was the first year that people really started to take notice of Steven Adams. Um, as somebody other than a target practice for Draymond Green's foot. Um, but what do you think Adams' role on this team is going to be this year? See, Adams, what does he? What does he touch the ball like? Other than an offensive rebound, he get, he probably gets the ball roughly ten times a game for um, you know getting the ball in the paint. I want to see that number jump up to twelve to fifteen times a game. 
Yeah. I think I think he's polished enough on the offensive end that you can give him the basket and expect him to do good things with it and not lose it. And he's a good enough passer that if there's nothing there, he'll find the open man. So you get the ball to, run, um, to Steven Adams, good things will typically happen. And the offense will, will be able to catch their breath. They'll be able to run a half-court offense, which is something that Thunder have struggled with year after year. And in situations where the fast break just isn't there, you got to feed Steven Adams. So – I think this is a big year for him, and I think last year was kind of the coming out party in terms of, you know, a lot of people were saying there's a big three in Oklahoma City, but it does not involve Carmelo Anthony. Is it Steven Adams? Can we say Steven Adams is a part of the big three? And I certainly thought so through a lot of stretches of the season last year, and the numbers kind of suggested it. When Steven Adams shot, what, 15 or more shots a game, the Thunder were 12-1 and one at one point. Mm. You know, that that does not lie. You get easy buckets you get easy points, you're probably going to win. Yeah, and and like you said, people started to notice a little bit towards the end of last year, and the shine kind of wore off on that in the playoffs when the perception was that Gobert kind of got the better of him. But I don't know about about you. My opinion is that he might have broken a bone in his forearm <laughs> uh, before that one dunk, and he wouldn't tell us anything about it. Yeah, I, I... I mean, just being around the practice facility during the um, playoffs, you could certainly tell that something was wrong. Now, was it wrong enough that it seriously, you know, held Stephen Adams back in terms of what he was able to do? I don't think so. I think what really did Stephen Adams in was the Thunder simply had no backup big. I mean, they would throw Jeremy Grant out there. He's not going to do much against against um, Utah's bigs. They're going to throw Patrick Patterson out there. He's not going to do too much against Utah's bigs. It was mainly yeah. Steven Adams, and it was just a numbers game. Now they have Nerlens Noel, who you could throw out there in that type of situation, give Steven Adams some rest, and expects Nerlens Noel to hold his own from a physical standpoint and from a length standpoint. So I think it was just a bad matchup for Steven Adams, simply put. Yeah, and – Back real quickly to what you were talking about, about getting him more touches. That That's something I really hope to see, too. And I think throughout the preseason, and, and you never know if these are things they're trying in the preseason and that will slowly dwindle away as, as basically, as Russ comes back. Uh, <laughs> but but he's been getting a lot more touches, whether it's it's the ball handler passing it to him so they can run off a screen with a dribble handoff or – They've been doing a lot of on the inbounds pass, lobbing it up to him and then letting him immediately do a dribble handoff. We even saw the one play where it looked like he has the ability to fake that dribble handoff and turn the corner. Now it didn't work out, but that's something really great to see. So I think there's a knowledge within the coaching staff of that it's just smart to have the ball in his hands because he's a smart player. So yeah, I think those touches will go up even if they're not quote-unquote, in-the-paint touches. Yeah, I agree. And so we actually we actually have a Twitter question that isn't strictly along these lines, but and, – and, and don't take this as me trying to shade your response at all that we're talking about Stephen Adams, but via at t.yamsxvi, which is Roman numerals for 16, uh, he keeps getting suspended. Who is the most <laughs> reliable player on the Thunder? most reliable player on the Thunder in terms of you expect something and you know it's going to happen or yeah yeah I think so I think you could probably replace reliability with consistency 
Yeah. Well, I mean, Russell Westrick, the guy's averaged a triple-double over the last right. few years. He almost did a, um, a year prior in Kevin Durant's last year. Yeah. You know, I think, I think what, 12 of his last 15 games he got a triple-double. So he's been on such a historic tear that you just, you know, we take for granted the triple-double, and I know it's been written about and talked about how terrible it is. It's still amazing. Yeah, it's it's still an amazing accomplishment. And mm-hmm. I can remember being a kid and turning on SportsCenter when it would come on at six, and Jason Kidd or LeBron James that the night before would have a triple double, and it would be the lead story on SportsCenter because it just doesn't <laughs> happen that much. And now with the rule change, it's a little bit more offensive minded. Uh, there's a lot more athleticism in the game than there has been in recent years. You know, it, it's it's not been that rare of an occurrence, but it's it's only been not that rare of an occurrence from one or two or three players, LeBron, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook. After those guys go, like, retire, who's going to start averaging a triple-double? So, I mean, back to the original question, though, like, I mean, it's Russ. He's going to He's going to dictate how the Thunder play. If he plays well, the Thunder will win a lot of games. If he has a bad game and forces a lot of turnovers, either the Thunder will probably lose or Paul George picks it up enough that they can overcome a bad Russ night. So I'd have to go with Russ. Yeah, you know, Occam's razor right there. Sometimes the simplest answer is the is the right answer. Yeah, it's certainly a question that some, like, if you ask someone that covers, covers the Thunder or is a fan of the Thunder, they probably want to think really hard about it, but, you know, there is a really easy answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, going back to Stephen Adams a little bit, um, actually kind of off Stephen Adams, basically, uh, you talked about how a lot of his struggles in the playoff last year was, you know, the lack of help at backup big. And you touched on a little bit with Nerlens Noel, but I wanted to ask you, what are your expectations for Nerlens in terms of his impact off of the bench? Well, I'll say this for Nerlens, for him personally. If for Nerlens to have a successful run with the Thunder this year, he does not need to be on this team next year. If he's not on this mm-hmm. team next year, that means he had a really good run as the backup and became an impact player that the Thunder could count on, and then he gets his money. Yeah. If he's still on this team next year, it's because those things did not happen. But I think... I think from what we saw in preseason, the guy is a great rebounder and on a team that's already really good at rebounding, if your backup big can pull down 14, 15 rebounds, that's an asset that a lot of other teams would love to have. And then also, the guy is a great passer. He's, yeah. all, he, he's got great court vision, and he's always looking to pass when he knows he's not in position to score. And he obviously understands his limitations as an offensive uh, center, he knows that he's mainly a he's a finisher around the rim, uh, a lob guy. He knows that that those are his limitations. So when he gets the ball in a situation that doesn't kind of include those, he's looking for the open man. And you've got to like that, especially when you're going to be on the floor with uh, Dennis Schroeder. Um, let's see, maybe a Patrick Patterson in certain lineups. Uh, Alex Abrinas. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for those guys to hit open shots. And Timothy Luau Cabarro. Um, who finally hit some shots the other night against Milwaukee. Yeah. There's going to be opportunities. So um, having a center that's um, got g- good court vision like Nerlens possesses, that's a good asset. Yeah, he, yeah, he's made some really impressive passes. There there was one specifically, I think he kicked it to the corner to Hami, just a little yeah. bullet pass from the top of the key. That was 
and, and Billy keeps talking about his passing, and it's so we're we're just now seeing it. But I think he's right. Yeah, my my yeah. Hot, my little my little hot take with uh, the Thunder after the Thunder signed Nerlens Noel was. I thought that this could this had the potential to to be the PJ Tucker signing of last year where PJ Tucker really put the Rockets over the top in terms of they finally have a guy that's physical. They finally have a guy that they can counter small ball, you know, uh, lineups of death lineups uh, against Golden State by having a guy in PJ Tucker that can go up against Draymond Green, that can go up against a Steven Adams, and you can and can also stretch the floor. Now, obviously, Nerlens can't stretch the floor, but he does give the Thunder something that they, they they haven't had since Ennis Cantor's been here in terms of a backup big that they can count on. So, I really think that um, if Nerlens is able to reach that potential, this could be that type of signing this year. Yeah, they also have a guy that won't trade for Jimmy Butler right now. <laughs> oh my, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's, let's avoid that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. It's been fun enough. to watch, though. No, it's, it's been a train wreck, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one more thing on Erland. You know, I mentioned I'm a Kentucky fan, so I saw, you know, his potential firsthand very early on. Um, the thing that impresses me and, you know, stands strong today is his defensive instincts. Because, obviously, the guy's a great shot blocker. I mean, I watched him block 12 shots in a game against uh, Ole Miss. Ole Miss, freshman year. yeah. Yeah. Uh, six of which after he picked up four fouls, but that's besides the point. Um, but the guy has an uncanny ability to to poke the ball loose. He like he's got super quick hands and he does so without fouling, and that's something you just don't see in a lot of big men in the NBA today. So I, I think he's going to be a excellent piece off the bench. Yeah, one of the other things that's really jumped out at me because I kind of understood about his passing. I, I was looking a lot. I was looking for that a lot of the time, so that didn't necessarily surprise me. Um, in terms of, wow, I didn't know he could do that. I knew he could. I was just surprised about how well it w- he was able to do it. But the main thing that surprised me with Nerlens is just his ability to get back when he's out of position. Because he's so long, it just takes him one step, and he's in position to take a charge. Uh, it's, he's so quick. He's, he's got really good feet. And he's able, even if he's well, well out of position, he can get right back with one step. And that's something when you're – in a league with a bunch of slashers that like to get to the rim, like to get to the foul line, that's something that's an invaluable asset to have. Yeah, that one block he had, uh, I, I forget who it was even against, but the the one the guy I, I came, the one the guy came and tried to dunk on him. He came yeah, he came from the opposite side of the lane, right? He was completely outside the lane on the other side and came all the way over and got that block. It was amazing. FYI, DeAndre Brimbry. It was it was DeAndre Bembry. He he hit the uh, he hit a half court shot at the uh, half at the half of that game, I believe. Nobody's gonna remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, mo- moving on to uh, somebody that actually played alongside Nerlens um, back in his Sixers days, Jeremy Grant, and you know. We, you know, we've talked a lot about this in the offseason on who should start at the four and who's better coming off the bench. Who does Brady Trantham think should be the starter, Patrick Patterson or Jeremy Grant? Now, at the beginning of the offseason, I said Jeremy Grant, but as the, as the 
summer went on, preseason went on, I think it should be Patrick because I think he just fits better with the starters because Jeremy Grant's game is going to the basket in terms of offense. His game is getting to the foul line, trying to get a, a, a sweet little layup, um, or at least attempting to hit a three. Patterson is a ball mover, and he's able. He's much more comfortable beyond on the arc than Jeremy Grant is. And so when you're on the floor with Paul George, Russell Westbrook, two guys that need to get to the paint to be successful, other than Paul who can light it up from beyond the arc from time to time, um, Patterson just makes more sense. And then, therefore, your second unit is a, a defensive juggernaut. It has the capability to be a defensive juggernaut with uh, yeah. Nerlens Noel and Jeremy Grant patrolling the paint. And with their length, they can even make up for uh, some of the speedier guards that like to hang out beyond the three-point line in the corner. They're able to rebound more so on that. So as time has moved on, I think Patterson makes more sense as, as the starting power forward. Hey, for sure, man. And, yeah, Patterson's been my choice all along for all the reasons you said, you know, just his spacing and his passing and his basketball IQ, which is something that kind of gets left behind in these conversations. Is, you know, Jeremy Grant's a very good basketball player, but Patrick Patterson's a highly intelligent basketball player. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably fair to say. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk a little bit about this uh, wing rotation. You know, we, we've, held off, we've held off on it up until this point, but – you know, you got four guys in TLC, Ferg, Alex Sabrinas, and Hamdou Diallo, um, who, you know, all have their own cases for who should start in place of Andre Robertson and who should be penciled in that rotation even when he comes back. Um, where, do, where do you rank them? How, how, how would you rank the wing options? <sighs> this is so tough. <laughs> this is so tough just because no matter where you go, there's – there's something that you can kind of draw from in terms of like what Billy Donovan has said in the past. Alex Brienz really turned on his defensive motor at the end of the year last year in the playoffs. So we have a lot of that that we have drawn that we can draw from and see that he's able to perform at that. He's capable of doing that. So and, I'll, and, I, and I'll add that he seems like he's been trying really hard in the preseason. Oh yeah. He's been trying very hard. Um, as long as his back doesn't hurt. But um, Brinus makes, makes sense there. But you can also go for Terrence Ferguson, who Billy Donovan just waves his pom-poms for any chance he gets. So um, it, yeah. if, I'll say this. If Terrence is cleared, he's probably going to start. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. And I think that's the expectation, even if not the preference of, of most of the fans. Um, on yeah. Ferguson – Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say. Yeah, I'm. I think the Thunder really, really like what he's able to bring to the table. And yes, I know he's been kind of a disappointment going back to summer league, but that's something that I always knew. He was. He wasn't going to figure it out in summer league. He's probably not going to figure it out in the preseason. If he ever figures it out, it'll probably be months into the season. You don't just ask someone to do something different and they automatically can just do it on the fly um, 100% correct. So this is going to be a process. This is going to take time for him. But in the meantime, he's shown that he's been able to knock down some pretty big shots. So when he's out there on the floor and Paul George and Russ are, and Steven Adams are taking up the brunt of the, uh, of the attention, you've got Terrence Ferguson out in the corner. You can, hit him, you can hit him with a few passes, and he will probably be able to knock down one out of three or two out of four. Yeah, you know, and just so we make sure to mention him, 
I rewatched the last game against the Bucks, and Luau Cabarro did some things. You know, like he had a few steals, which were nice. Uh, made a few plays on defense. He had that dunk from the corner. But like you were saying about Hami, the opposite of TLC, you just don't notice him when he's out on the court unless he's making a shot, you know. So, and if he's not making those shots, I don't think he brings any value that, that those other guys are able to bring. But, you know, along the, along the lines of this question, we have, we have a Twitter question from at Cody McChicken. Is Ray Felton really going to take minutes away from our young wings all season? Oh, that's a good question. Just because Billy has shown that he really appreciates having vets out there. Now, if the young guys are able to show that they can do things without the basketball, i.e. rebound, not turn the ball over, um, extend possessions, play good defense, then I think you're not going to see Raymond out there except for some weird lineups where he's playing with Russell Westbrook or with Dennis Schroeder and they want a primary ball handler to get those guys um, kind of in, in, in rhythm, in motion. Um, yeah. But if the young guys struggle – you're going to see a whole lot of Raymond Felton. And to be honest, I don't mind that. Raymond Felton yeah. won the Thunder two games last year. <laughs> he won them the, the game on the road against Charlotte where he, he put the team on his back and won them a game that they should have lost. And and I was actually trying to think about it the other day, and I cannot remember who, who it was against. I think it might have been against the Nets. But there was a game late in the year where Raymond came off the bench to start the fourth quarter and knocked down three threes to, I think the Thunder were down 12, and he knocked down three threes and three possessions. And then the, whoever the opponent was called timeout. And then Russell came back out, and the Thunder took the lead, and they uh, won, ended up winning the game. So Raymond can do that for you. And from your third backup point guard, especially from a few years ago when the Thunder's backup point guard was Samaj Christian, that's, that's another little thing in Billy Donovan's pocket that he's able to play with. Yeah, and, and, and I, I like Ray as a third point guard. I think, you know, he provides leadership to the young guys on the team. And, you know, he showed last year that he's capable of helping out should something happen to Russ or Dennis Schroeder, knock on as much wood as I possibly can. <laughs> um, talking about uh, Andre Robertson here for a second, man. Um, obviously, you know, there was a setback with uh, his recovery. Do you expect Dre to come back and propel our defense to top five or higher on that side of the ball? And uh, from what you've seen in his workouts, how has his shot improved? That is so hard to say because what, what he's great at is so predicated on cutting and quickness and agility and stopping and absorbing contact. You just don't yeah. know how you just don't know how he's going to react to all those things with Essentially what – this injury is what the ACL tear was 25, 30 years ago, where it would end careers. Nowadays, you know, you tear your ACL, it sucks, but you're going to be back seven, eight months – seven, eight, nine months later and be probably the same player you were just because medical science has improved so much. What he, Like, what's happened to him could ruin his career. And I'm not trying to say that it will, and from the limited amount of time that we've been able to see him out there, um, looks okay, he looks fine, but it's a much different story when you are running around in the NBA game. It's it's kind of the same thing as, oh, this NBA player can knock down all these shots when nobody's guarding him, you know, just shooting around the gym, but you put him on the, on the floor 
in the game in a game and he can't hit anything. It's it's a different story when the lights are on. Um, but I will say, because everybody knows he's been working out with Lethal Shooter in the off season, I will say, um, the few times we've been able to see him like basically shoot um, shoot three pointers, he's not jumping, but his his hand his arm motion, the ball mm-hmm. in, his, in his hands looks very different, and it looks more comfortable and much more smooth. So if he's able to translate that to a jump shot, the shot look, will at least look better. Now, the question will be, once the season hits and he's playing and he's in, you know, you know, the second or third quarter of an NBA game, does he just kind of revert back to what's comfortable to him? So if he's able to take the kind of the advice and the learning that he's been able to um, focus on in the off season, then, yeah, you might see a little bit, uh, little bit of a better shooting performance from him just because that's all he's been able to work on all off season. But these guys are creatures of habit. So that's again, it's it's really hard to say with Andre. Yeah, yeah, and my my personal conspiracy theory about this whole setback is that I mean we all saw his his practice videos for the last few weeks, and it was pretty obvious that he wasn't close to 100 percent and ready to return. And I kind of think maybe there wasn't a setback. Maybe they were just like, stop asking us for two months. <laughs> uh, I mean that would I mean. The Thunder are a uh, very calculated organization, mm-hmm. so I really wouldn't—I really wouldn't put it past you if uh, that was the case. <laughs> All right, man. Last player of the roster. We're gonna talk a little bit about the conference, getting the Twitter questions, and a few fun questions for you. So, you know, we've held off the whole time, but Paul George announced July first that he was here to stay. Um, yeah, boy. I, I've been talking. You know, ever since he committed, about I think Paul George could win the MVP this year. Do you echo these sentiments, or do you think I'm crazy? <laughs> oh, I don't think you're crazy. I don't. I, I don't think you're crazy. Paul George is one of the best players on the planet. Anything's possible, but do I think it'll happen? I don't think so. Dang it, Brady. What a hypothetically, what stat line do you think he would need to average to get that? And and you know what what would Re- Russell Westbrook's stat line look like if if that was to happen? Paul would have to outscore Russell Westbrook for one, and I don't think that that's going sure. to happen. Okay, all right, <laughs> fair enough. That, that is fair. Just just raining on my parade, Brady Transom. I appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry. The last time you come on this show. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't um, say that. No. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, getting into the Western Conference, which is going to be a bloodbath. Um, the Warriors add DeMarcus Cousins. The Lakers get LeBron and a slew of vets. The Jazz bring their whole team back and add a promising rookie in Grayson Allen. The Rockets made some moves, and yet it feels like OKC could be on the cusp of something special should they reach full health. Um, where do you predict the Thunder finish in the West? And where do you rank them in the NBA in terms of a true contender? When the regular season schedule came out, I said I predicted that my prediction was um, the Thunder, the Jazz, and the Lakers are going to be fighting for the three, four, five spots. So that's kind of where I think the Thunder are. It, it, for the Lakers, it just depends how well the young guys mesh with LeBron James. If they're able to mesh from day one, they're going to win a lot of games. Uh, for Utah, they are a team that I. Think 
people need to pump their brakes on. I think Donovan Mitchell is a – he's going to be one of the best players in the league, if not next year, uh, then definitely in year three. That is how good he is. But the Jazz fortunately got to play the Oklahoma City Thunder in their first-round matchup. So um, any optimism you can take from that, like that, that was a bad Thunder team. Last year they, that was a bad team, and especially in the playoffs, that was a bad team. So beating them in the first round – is not that surprising to me. Um, and then also Utah had to go on like a 20, win 20 games out of like 25 stretch. So teams like that in Portland that won all these big stretches of games just to get to their fifth spot, I'm just going to be like, punt the brakes <laughs> a little bit. And then the Thunder, everybody knows how talented they are. just really depends on injuries, when guys are able to come back if they're healthy. If Dre is able to come back healthy – and the same player that he was, then um, the Thunder are probably going to be around the 50-win mark. Yeah, that seems reasonable to me. So well, what do you think the 50-win mark would, would put the Thunder out of the four? Something around there? With as good as the West is, if the Thunder if the Thunder are able to basically not start off 8-12 and 12 like they did last year, <laughs> they're prob- they are going to win 50 games. Mm-hmm. That would mean they would. That would mean they win a lot of games in this early part of the schedule, which is extremely soft, except for a few games. They would have won a lot of games without Andre Robertson defending for them. So, yeah. to me, it can only go up from there if you add Andre to the fold. Yeah, and I did a breakdown of the schedule, and it, each consecutive month is harder than the last. It's a it's a very a very standard uh, slope. Up from easy to hard. So, yeah, ideally our health increases as the season goes on, not the other way around. So, yeah. So, I, I think, uh, I think that's probably good for that. You're, you're predicting a, a decent seed and, and a, a 50 win team around there. So, uh, we have one more Twitter question before we move on to fun time, which is from at Gerald Amir. And, his question is, what is this team's quote-unquote death lineup, and what lineup is most likely to have a high plus-minus? And in the parlance of this podcast, we're going to say, what is your favorite unit? We're supposed to be a unit. My favorite unit unit is uh, obviously a unit that hasn't played yet together. It's going to be Russell, Schroeder, Paul, Grant, and Steven. That, okay. those, are your five, those are your five most talented players in terms yeah, yeah. of we know what they can do, they know what they can do. Um, it's not the most athletically talented um, lineup. I think you'd have to put Diallo in that conversation, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah I, I would say, like, like I said, Russ, Schroeder, Paul, Jeremy, and Steven. Yeah, and you have a nice balance of offense and defense, and and every person in that lineup it has a very diverse skill set. So I, I think that's a really good choice. All right, so we're going to jump into fun time. Uh, we want to thank everybody for sending in the Twitter questions, first of all. Um, but first question for fun time, man. If you were to make a five-on-five pickup team with you as the captain – Made of OKC media members, who would you rather four be? And would you be oh. on it? We've seen oh, that. Yeah, be on it. He's the captain. 
<laughs> you can be the coach. <laughs> Let's see. My first, my first pick will probably be Adam Suave Francisco. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys are uh, yeah. familiar yeah. with the Suave report. Yeah. Uh, like him and I have been talking about trying to get a, a, a media game together. So I'm gonna go ahead and get him. Um, Travis Singleton, just because I, I played ball with him before, he can ball. Travis Singleton, aka Sneak. Um, I'm gonna leave Royce on the bench because he's just not tall. <laughs> um, and the man, he the man puts ketchup on some ungodly things. So yeah, he, yeah he he's going to, he's gonna to have to accept the bench role. Um, Probably hard um, to hold on to the ball with those greasy ketchup fingers. Oh yeah. Um, I might I might even see if Nick Gallo from the Thunder w- wants to join on this one because Nick's got some, he looks like he's got sneaky sneaky athleticism in him. And then I'll round it out with uh, I'll I'll round it out with um, Eric Horn from the Oklahoman because I've also seen him play basketball. I think Nick Gallo was the was the surprise of that lineup. <laughs> like I said, he he's, he he looks like someone that. Oh, let's, let's pick him last, and then he's out there like Woody Harrelson it up on, from a white man can't jump. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, man, I've, I've asked you and I've asked Andrew Schleck this question, and you both left off the most obvious answer, Antonio Daniels. Oh. What, what, is, what are you, you doing? Shame on us. You were going to lose this media day game. Antonio. <laughs> hardly ever here, so I, I I sometimes forget, like, oh, yeah, Antonio is part of the Thunder media. Okay, that's, fair enough. That's fair. I, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus. I'm still talking no, about the okay. Fox thing. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man, just a, just a few questions here. What is your favorite song out right now? My favorite song? Yeah, man. Oh, um, see, this is where I suck. Uh, I don't really like <laughs> I don't really like pop music, or and this is going to be a grave sin because I cover the NBA. I don't really like rap. I'm not a big hip hop guy. I like guitar music. So okay. Um, I really like probably the most modern band that I like right now is Ghost. I'm actually going to go see them in Tulsa in a few weeks. So I'm excited for that. I'm going to go see Metallica in January in Tulsa, and they're my favorite band. So y'all can just you can just Imagine in your head what I like listening to. I actually saw you post a picture next to the Metallica promo thing, so I, I, yeah, I they, had, they, they had them all over the BOK Center. It was pretty cool, and I was just kind of like fangirling out because we had, we had to go through the loading dock, all the media, and I turned to Madison, and she knows I'm a Metallica geek, and I just looked at her, and I was like, this is where James Hetfield is going to enter the building. I can't believe it. <laughs> 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 All right, man. What, what's the best movie you've seen this year? Hereditary. Ooh. Straight up, Hereditary. Okay. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I love horror films, and there are two types of scary movies. There's just like, you know, jump scare, kind of popcorn fun scary movie, and then there's the scary movie that really sticks with you, and it's really a really good story. It kind of like The Shining or The Witch or The Exorcist. Those types of movies and Hereditary is in that conversation. It's one of the best scary movies I've ever seen. If you haven't had a chance to see it and you like scary movies, please watch it. And um, yeah, you're going you're going to be staring at the ceiling for the next few nights if you do because it's it sticks with you. 
All right, so you're into you're into scary movies and hard and metal, metal and hard heavy metal, yeah. So so my follow up question is, who hurt you, Brady? Uh, no, I, I, I got that question a lot in high school, and my friends would jump in my truck, and uh, we'd all go to lunch, and then I'd turn my truck on, and then like I'd have System of Down blasting out of my stereo from the morning earlier, like oh shit, I got to turn it down. So. <laughs> so can we assume your favorite TV show is something like uh, I don't know American Horror Story? Definitely. I do like American Horror Story. It annoys the heck out of me because it's just. It does too much, but... Um, it's just right not now, quite dark enough for you, yeah? It's... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, I, I, actually, I actually started watching Ozark on Netflix the other night, and oh, yeah. uh, mm. I'm I'm hooked from episode good. one. It's good. All right. What's the last book you've read, man? Um, Stephen Adams. No, wait, let me guess. Oh. What was it? H.P. Lovecraft, something like that. Hey, I've got a bunch of H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> um, no, I, I I read Stephen Adams' autobiography. There you go, man. And I, I'm still waiting on an audio book for that one. All right, man. <laughs> what What is your favorite all-time quote? This is your last question. Favorite all-time quote would have to probably be... Oh, man. And I'm a history nerd. Man, I have to actually think about this. Um, I love reading, and it's not really a quote. It's it's it technically is, but basically Dwight D. Eisenhower's um, message that he wrote to all the invading forces uh, during D-Day: the we are about to embark on a great crusade. Every time I read that, man, I love like the hair on my neck stands up, and it gets me pumped up. And uh, yeah. I, I guess that's that's probably it. All right. Make sure Billy Donovan says it before a big game. Get, get our players as pumped up as it makes you feel. <laughs> that's what most Thunder fans would probably want to say before a Golden State game in Oklahoma City. So. <laughs> All right, Brady. Man, I, I can't say enough how much I appreciate you coming on here. Had a great time having you on here. And, I mean, it, it's been a blast, man. I appreciate it. No, it's been fun, guys. Thank you guys so much. And uh, keep doing what you do, guys. Um, you know, from somebody that did a podcast from a website for a year and worked for that website for another year and a half or two, you know, there are going to be times where you feel like nobody listens or nobody cares, but people really appreciate consistency. People really appreciate enthusiasm about the work. And there's never enough coverage, so don't think that, well, there's already a thousand podcasts out there. Why do this? Or no one cares. Like, somebody always cares, so just keep doing what you guys do. Um, you guys are fantastic. You guys are fun to talk to. So, um, yeah, just keep doing what you do, and good thing, only good things will come from it. Hey, thanks, Brady. That means a lot to us, and, you know, especially coming from someone who I know you probably don't feel like this, but you've kind of made it, so that's that's really means a lot coming from you. Appreciate that, guys. I really do. Um, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that because <laughs> if, I get com if I get complacent, I might be stuck in radio for the rest of my life. But I do All right. appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. All right, man. Where uh, where can folks find you? Where can folks follow your work? Um, Twitter, of course, at Brady Does Sports. Um, TheFranchiseOK.com um, is where all the articles go. Um, 
like I said, um, I'll be starting with my partner, Madison Morris. We will be starting the OKC82 podcast. Um, I submitted it to iTunes, and as everybody that's done podcasts knows, it's going to be a, it's going to be about a week until they, you know, say, okay, yep. your podcast is approved. So once it's approved, I'll send out all the necessary information of how to find it. But it's just basically going to be a podcast reaction after every game. It's another way for us to get some content out and put our thoughts out in the uh, social media sphere. So, yeah, OKC82 podcast. It'll be available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all the usual stuff, and we're, we're even going to do, like, Twitch um, while we're in studio. So, like, everybody that's still awake at 2 in the morning, if they're wanting to see some <laughs> Thunder content, plug in to Twitch um, for the, um, at the Franchise OK, and we'll be sitting in there at 2 in the morning talking about the game we watched four hours earlier. So it'll be fun. All right, man. Well, once again, appreciate you coming on, and uh, hope you have a good rest of the night, brother. Hey, you guys, too. Had a lot of fun, guys. Really appreciate it. Anytime you guys need somebody else on, just uh, hit me up. We'll do that. We for sure will, man. Take it easy. You guys, too. Thank you. All right, guys. So that was Brady Trantham of uh, the franchise. And, you know, once again, we thank Brady for coming on. Uh, Steve, how do you think the conversation went, man? I had a lot of fun. Yeah, we we I mean we learned a lot about the team that we didn't know, and dag on it, we learned a whole lot about Brady we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but guys, uh, you know that was our podcast. Uh, once again, follow us on Twitter at OKC Topic Thunder. You can find our stuff at thundersintentions.com. Now that's thunderbasketball.com. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, Pocket Cast, anywhere you find your podcast, and of course. Um, on our Twitter feed. So until then, I hope you guys have a great night. God bless. And on behalf of myself and Steven, thunder up. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.